0: This is uh, week number 12 in our series called Jesus the Healer. Say that. Say Jesus the Healer. Is He still a healer today? You know, we've been studying for all these weeks about how Jesus was a healer in the New Testament, how God healed people in the Old Testament. We've, we've just gone through, uh, I feel like we've covered it pretty well. And we ministered and laid hands on the sick last week. And of course, we'll do that anytime that you need it. Uh, But we talked about the laying on of hands, the purpose of it, and the ministry of it. So if you missed that, go back out to the website and check it out. And uh, let's just look at our foundation scripture that we've been looking at every week, and that's found in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. This is a a portion of a message that Peter preached in the home of Cornelius when uh, this was the first time that the Gentiles were hearing the gospel And so Peter was sent to Cornelius' house to minister to him by the Lord. And so he summed up the ministry of Jesus pretty much in one verse. He said some other things, but he summed up the ministry of Jesus in one verse. And he said this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So you know it's it's amazing to me, and it's important for us to note that in Peter's thinking, the one thing that really set Jesus' ministry apart. And you got to remember, Peter was there when, uh, you know, the water was turned into wine at the wedding of Cana. Peter was there when, and actually, Peter for a few moments walked on the water to Jesus. Peter was there when the thousands were fed as Jesus multiplied the food, and all of those things were wonderful. But the one thing that sticks out in Peter's mind when he was ministering this was the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, as I've been mentioning to you, Hebrews thirteen eight says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God anointed Jesus uh, to be a healer, as we said in, in the New Testament, then he's still a healer today. Amen? All right, now... I want to wrap this series up today and uh, talk to you about process. Everybody say process. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? And I I want you, you don't necessarily have to answer, but I want to ask you a question. Are you believing God for something? Okay? And, And what I mean for that, by that, is have you purposely prayed for and released your faith and asked the Lord to do something in your life okay now I I, want to just encourage you and the Lord really as I was praying yesterday brought this to my the forefront of my thinking to ask that question and then to encourage you with this and to say that you should never as a believer not have a time when you are not believing God for something uh, you ought to, you know, and, the, and really what I like to call it is you ought to have a faith project going all the time. Now, I hope your life is great. I hope your life is going well. And, and uh, even when things are going well and, and, you know, just circumstances are good and your job is going well and things are okay and, you know, in every area of your life, don't ever let that be a time where you coast. Always have your faith out there working on something. Somebody said, well, what do I do, Pat? I don't need anything. Well, you're surrounded by people all the time that do need something. So why don't you ask God to help you be equipped, you know, albeit however that, you know, works for you, but to be equipped so you can minister to other people. You know, why don't you... uh, Believe God for some extra money so you can have it in your pocket so the next time you're at Target or Walmart or at the grocery store, you can bless somebody and, and buy their things for them. You know, and ask the Lord when you go in the store, Lord, help me to find somebody that has a need and I want to meet that need. That's what I'm talking about. Now, there's nothing wrong with you, you know, standing in faith and believe in God for your own needs to be met. And, and, but, but if you're at a place where your needs are taken care of, then pray and ask God to help you meet the needs of other people. That's what we're here for anyway. Can I get a better amen than that? Okay. All right. So don't ever let your life come to a place where your faith is not working on something. Be praying and st- be praying, stand in faith for something. Release your faith for something. Now, the reason that I want to go in this direction is I want to expound on something that I've touched on lightly all throughout this series, and that is the process of healing. The process of healing. And by the way, this is applicable to any area of your life. If you're standing in faith, if you've prayed and you're believing God for a new job, if you're believing God for healing in your body, if you're believing God for anything that Jesus has provided for us, then there will possibly, most likely, be a process to bring you to the manifestation of that thing. All right, so I want to, and this is on your notes, but let's look at the dictionary definition of process It's not very spiritual, but it's true anyway. And that is this, a series of actions or steps taken to achieve a particular end. So if the end result is, you know, in this subject, manifestation of healing in your body, and it's a process to bring you to that point, then there are probably going to be a series of actions or steps that are going to bring you to that place. And God works that way for a couple of different reasons. But one of the main reasons is this, and I want to talk to you about this a little more, but if you're taking notes, write this down, please. And that is this, the process or this process could be more appropriately named the good fight of faith. Okay, so if you're... Thinking in this way, put the, you know, think this process equals the good fight of faith. Now, I love, and let me just read the scripture to you. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul writing to Timothy, he said this fight the good fight of faith. Now, do you know why it's a good fight? You know, not every fight's a good fight. You know why this is a good fight? Huh? Say it real loud. Because we win. If you stay in faith and you stand on God's word and you don't quit and give up, you will win. The Bible teaches that. So it's a good fight because we win. And then he says this, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many believers. Now, it's a fight because in the process there will probably be an opportunity for you to quit and give up. And and I'm not talking about your salvation. Don't, Don't misunderstand me. I'm just talking about if you've prayed for something and you have stood in faith on that, how many of you in that time frame have been tempted to quit and give up? Why? Because sometimes it takes some consistent effort in order to bring you to the place where you're walking in the answer to your prayer. And so th- there are going to be opportunities that we have to quit and give up. But here's what I do know that if you understand what the Bible teaches about this process, it will help you stay in the fight. And again, it's a good fight because we win. Now, I want to point out something that Paul says in this verse. He said, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Now, everybody say, lay hold. Now, let me, let me talk about eternal life for just a second. That is a translation of the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. And let me tell you what zoe means. Zoe, a lot of times, is referred to as salvation in the sense of being born again. And thank God for the new birth. Thank God for salvation. Jesus paid for our salvation but the, the actual Greek word goes much deeper than just your eternal salvation. It actually means the life of God and everything that comes with the life of God. So I want to help us to expand our thinking a little bit. So when we read in the scriptures and we see the words eternal life, know that it means more than just, just a way to heaven when you die. It's much greater than that. There is a quality of life that God wants us to live here in the earth. And then heaven is just a continuation, an extenuation of, of that quality of life. But there are some things that God wants us to walk in. Notice it says, lay hold on eternal life to which you were called. Every believer is called to this zoe life, this life of God, okay? Now, I want to go back and let's focus for a minute on the words lay hold, okay? Lay hold means this. I didn't include this in your notes, but if you want to just remember this, lay hold in the Greek means this, to seize, to catch, or take hold of. To seize, to catch, or take hold of. And it implies you grab something with the intent of hanging on to it. You're not willing to let it go. And you know, there are going to be some things, and healing is one of them, that you have to make up your mind. I'm going to release my faith. I'm going to believe God for healing in my body. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to lay hold of it, and I'm going to refuse to let it go. Because here's what's going to happen. The devil is going to produce pressure in your life to get you to let go of what you have laid hold of. All right, so you've got to make up your mind ahead of time. At that thing which I seize, I catch, and I take hold of, I'm not going to let it go. All right, let's expand on the good fight of faith a little bit. Let's, let's write this down, please, if you're taking notes. The good fight of faith is a fight where you do two things. Number one, you hold on to something And number two, you say something. So the good fight of faith consists of you lay hold on something, you hold on to it, and then you say something. So there is a a, a seizing and a saying, a seizing and a saying. And as I mentioned to you, the enemy is going to try and get you to let go of that thing that you have laid hold of. All right? So... That's where the good fight of faith comes in. Now, I want to change gears just a little bit. I want to go back to the Old Testament. And the Bible says that Abraham is the father of our faith, meaning he is our primary example. He is a primary example for us to model our faith after. So what I want to do is I want to go back and and let's look at some verses in Romans chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 that lays some groundwork, and, and let's read this. It says, "...and he received the sign of circumcision," this was part of the covenant relationship, "...a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised," talking about the Gentiles, "...that righteousness might be imputed to them also," And the father of circumcision, talking about Abraham, to those who are who not only are of the circumcision, but, but look at this phrase, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So what, what is Paul telling us here? Paul is saying that in ministering to the Gentiles, which we are, that that we're not part of that family by by birth and by the original covenant, but because of the Lord Jesus, we have been grafted in. We've been brought in, and that we can still follow the steps of faith that Abraham modeled for us. All right are, are you are you tracking with me? Okay, so we must follow the steps that Abraham laid out for us. That's why they're in the Old Testament to begin with. The Bible says that the the things that we read about in the Old Testament are written for our examples. So let's study what are the faith steps that Abraham took in order to receive results. Now, for those of you who might not be familiar, let's talk about what happened to Abraham. Abram, as he was known initially... Uh, was, a, was of a heathen family. He was, their family was into idolatry. They were not walking with God. And because of, there's a couple of different reasons I don't have time to get into today. But, but God spoke to Abram and he said, I want you to leave your father, your country, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. And so God started this relationship with Abram. Abram does what the Lord says. He packs up and he leaves home and he heads out to a promised land that God had told him that he wanted to give him. And so in the process of getting there, God makes a promise to Abram. He said, out of you I will cause you to be the father of many nations and out of you will come a blessing upon all people, talking about, of course, the Lord Jesus would come out of the lineage of Abraham. Now, as you know, Ab- that was, uh, Abraham was 79 or 75-ish when that took place. And um, so later on, uh, after walking with the Lord for some 25 years, the Lord ministers to him and said, now it's time, uh, your wife is going to have a son. And how many of you know, again, it's not natural for a 99-year-old man and an 89-year-old woman to give birth to children. That's just not natural. So there was something miraculous that was going to have to happen. But it was all based on a promise that God made to Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude, that he would have a son, and out of his son would come this great uh, Messiah that would bless the nations. All right, so Abraham stood in faith for that 25 years. And uh, actually, he, there's a process that got him there, which I won't really get into today. But let's look at Romans chapter 4, a few verses down, verses 16 through 21. So the scripture says there, this, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, talking about the Jews, but all those uh, who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, God's promise was, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who calls life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do. Just make a little mental note. That is how God operates, right there. God speaks and he calls those things which do not exist as though they do. Let me illustrate that for you. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, when the Bible says that Darkness was all over the earth, and darkness was everywhere. There was no light. What did God do when he wanted light? Did he step out there and say, boy, it sure is dark out here? No, he stood out there and he said, let there be light. Somebody tell me what happened. Light Light came, and light was. And by the way, you know, some many, 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 many years later, Uh, scientists have proven that the universe is still expanding at the speed of light. It started at that moment. But what I want you to see is this, is that when God wants to change something, he steps out and speaks of those things which do not exist as though they did or do. Okay? Now, just keep a mental note of that. All right? Verse 18. Who, Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, I want to give you four principles real quick about how Abraham and God worked together to cause this process to culminate in the birth of, of his son, Isaac. Okay, so Here's number one. Write this down, please. God calls those things which do not exist as though they do. God calls those things which do not exist as though they do. And in turn, what this scripture tells us is that Abraham did the same thing. By the way, if you've ever looked it up in the Hebrew dictionary, Abraham's name meant the father of a multitude the father of a multitude. So, so get this, every time he said his name, every time somebody else said his name, every time he handed out a business card, every time he presented himself to someone, here's what he was doing. He was calling those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, you know, it's just a name to us, but they knew what he was saying. It would be like you walking up to somebody and saying, hey, my name is Father of many nations. That's the way it would register in their thinking. So as it says in verse 17, we read it a moment ago, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now we're going to talk a little bit later more about this just a little bit, but it is important that you know in the process of faith, you have to engage with God the same way. In other words, God is not going to be able to work in your life if if he's wanting to go in this direction and your mouth is going in this direction. Okay? So in other words, if you're believing God for healing in your body... Um, what you're going to have to do is make your words line up with what God has already said about you. Now, and I have to mention this, you know, I I do every time, but I have to mention this. Notice this verse does not say, God calls those things which are as though they are not. In other words, let's say you need healing in your body and uh, you've been diagnosed with something If you walk around and all you say is, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, that is not what God does. That's a lie. That is not the truth. The the fact of the matter is, you might have sickness in your body, but the good news is when you align your words with God's Word, God's Word has the ability to change those circumstances. So when you walk around and you say, by his stripes, I am healed, you're not denying the sickness, you're denying its ability to stick around. Can I get a better amen than that? Okay, all right, let's keep going. All right, so Abraham, he, he learned how to call those things which be not, which do not exist as though they do. This is how God releases his power. Now, the power is released, and I want to emphasize this to you, because human nature is funny. Human nature likes the spectacular. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, um, we like stuff that's dramatic, spectacular, something that just, that's why we like fireworks. You know, and it's funny, every night, all summer long, I live close by to Carowinds. Every night at 10 o'clock, I hear the fireworks going off at Carowinds. And so what I'm thinking is, okay, they're putting on a big show and people like that because it's dramatic, it's spectacular, and all of those types of things. Well, what has happened is we've allowed that mindset to creep into our life with God, and we think God only operates in the spectacular, in the dramatic, that if God is moving, there's going to be fireworks. You know, and possibly it's because we've read all about the great stories in the Old Testament where God showed up dramatically to minister to the people and to show himself to be God. God. But you need to understand that God most likely will not move in a dramatic way. Now, I'm going to say something to you. This isn't in your notes. This is absolutely free if you want to write this down. And that is this. Don't miss the supernatural looking for the spectacular. That was good. I, I'm going to amen myself on that one. Okay, let me say it again. Don't miss the supernatural by seeking the spectacular. Because God moves in a supernatural way, but it's not always dramatic. It's not always spectacular. That's why we tell you all the time, listen, it might look like God's not doing anything, but he's moving behind the scenes where you can't see it. Okay? Now, so let me get this to you. Write this down, please. God works just as much in the gradual things as he does in the Big Bangs. Okay, You know what I mean by Big Bang, right? Those spectacular things. And see, we we often miss it because to us in this natural world in which we live and we function, um, gradual things slip by us. You know why? Because we live in a microwave society. We live in a drive-through society. You know, just in the last, let's say, 75 years, think about how food has changed for us. I mean, you know, I I can remember when McDonald's didn't have drive-throughs. Anybody else as old as me and remember that? Okay. Some of y'all don't want to admit it, but you are. Just go ahead and raise your hand anyway. All right, and so then when you know they added drive-throughs, you could you could pull up to the menu, then pull around, and and it used to be now not quite so much anymore, but it used to be, you know they had gotten so efficient that by the time you got to that last window, they got the bag hanging out there ready for you to pick up. Well, see what happens is with that microwave mentality, with that quick drive-through. Uh, things that we have experienced, we've often tied that over and we've thought that that happened in the realm of the Spirit as well. Now, things are happening. God is moving. There is stuff that's happening in that realm that you cannot see, but because you cannot see it, you think it's slow. Can I say this to you? There's nothing slow about God. All right? So... Let's go to number two. Here we go. Abraham did not allow himself to be deterred because he was in a hopeless situation. I I can't think of a more hopeless situation. Here you got God, you know, and this could look to somebody as being awfully cruel by God. Hey, you're going to have a son. Uh, God, do you know how old I am? Okay. And you know what? That didn't faze God at all. God. Matter of fact, God didn't show up and say, "Hey, um, are you under the age of forty-five? Because I wanted you to have a child, but you you might be too old for that." And by the way, your wife has been barren all her life, so I don't know that that's going to happen. No, that doesn't phase God at all. What did Jesus say? Uh, All things are possible to him that believes. So what you're going to have to make up your mind, if you're facing a hopeless situation, you're going to have to make up your mind like Abraham did and not be deterred by that hopeless situation. Okay? So Romans 4, 18, look at, at what the New Living says. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Now, somebody that's been around for a little while and you know what the word hope means? What what does the word hope mean? Anybody remember? An ex. Expectation. Don't be scared. Say it. Expectation. An expectation. Hope is an expectation of something good happening in the future. All right. So, and by the way, you you all all of us start out with hope in our faith with the Lord Jesus. But what I want you to see is is that, and this verse says it very well, there was no reason for Abraham to have an expectation. None. Nothing in the natural said that cooperated with what God had told him. But he held on to his expectation anyway. And you and I are going to have to make that same decision that we're going to hang on to that expectation so when I find a promise in God's word that says by his stripes I'm healed or my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory or you can, uh, you, know, you can get along with people and love people and forgive people, you know, that's just as much a promise as the other stuff, that you need to have an expectation that yes, you can. All right? So Abraham did not allow himself to be deterred because he was in a hopeless situation. Now here's number three. Abraham did not dwell on how God was going to do this. That's being weak in faith, the Bible says. Abraham didn't dwell on how God was going to work. How many of you have ever been guilty of trying to tell God how he needed to solve your problem? Okay. Lord... I have this situation in my life, and it'd be great if you'd go this way and work this way in order to cause that to be fixed. Okay? Well, I can promise you, especially if you articulate something like that, look out, it's not going to happen that way. Okay? Because God, God, um, well, let me say it to you this way. When you do that, when you try and dwell and, and help God out, You're trying to do his job. Um, And I've got news for you, okay? Uh, Those things belong to the Lord and are above your pay grade. (laughs) Just let God do his thing. Just believe him, believe that it's done, and then let him have the responsibility of figuring out how to do it. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but he's smarter than we are. He knows a million different ways to get your situation turned around. All you need is one, okay? Let him deal with that. So what did Abraham do instead of worrying about how God was going to cause this to come to pass? The Bible says, he, being not weak in faith, he gave glory to God. In other words, all Abraham did was is every time he thought about it, every time it occurred to him, Father, thank you that I'm a, a father of many nations. Thank you that you promised me that I'll have a son. Lord, thank you that you're the God of the impossible and nothing is too hard for you. I refuse to be moved by how old my body is. I believe that, that the power of God is working on my behalf and I will have a son. And so that's how you give glory to God. So when you're giving glory to God, I want to say this to you, you are making progress even though it might seem like you are not. Okay? Is this exciting, y'all, or okay, all right. Notify your faces a little bit. All right, here's number four. Abraham, and this one is so important, and this one's going to kind of focus for the rest of the message. Abraham was fully convinced in his heart and mind. Abraham was fully convinced in his heart and mind. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 21 it says and being fully convinced that what God had promised God was also able to perform. So I want to say this to you. Um, If there is a faith failure if you will It's probably in this area right here. You are not fully convinced that God will do what he said he would do. Okay, so how do we remedy that? Well, let me say this to you. Uh, Who convinced Abraham? Did God convince Abraham? No, the Bible doesn't say that at all. Abraham convinced Abraham. So what happened is over a period of time in this process, Abraham meditated, dwelt on, focused on the promise of God until he was fully convinced that God was going to do what he said he would do. And, and there, it was an impossibility to talk him out of it. And if you and I are going to walk in the kind of life that God wants us to live and walk in, you and I are going to have to bring ourselves to a place where we are fully convinced. I want to say this to you, and I say it with all kindness, but but if you're waiting on God to convince you, it will not happen. Here's why. God is already convinced that His Word is true. You need to get convinced that His Word is true. All right? Now, Let's, uh, let's talk about this a little bit. Now, let me go to a verse, a couple of verses. Mark 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 22 and 23. In the, uh, I want to read it to you from the New King James Version, and then I'll read it to you from the New Living. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. The New Living says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. The actual Greek says, have the faith of God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Okay? So what is the purpose, what is the main focus of verse 23? And that is this, Jesus is talking about speaking to a mountain, talking to a mountain. Well, pastor, that's just weird. I can't talk to a thing. You do it all the time. I guarantee you, if I, if I, if if when we dismiss a service here in a little bit and you go out in your car and your car will not start, I promise you, you'll have some words for that car. (laughs) You and I talk to stuff all the time. It's just when Jesus points it out, we, we don't believe it. But he says, if you will say to the mountain, be cast, be removed, be cast into the sea, And notice what it says, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Now, I want to say this to you. It is possible, this is not in your notes, but it is possible for you to have doubt in your head and faith in your heart. What do I mean by that? Faith is of the heart. Romans chapter 10 says, for with the heart, man believes. So it's possible for you to believe God's word down here in your heart and your spirit, but how many of you ever have fleeting thoughts that pass your mind that say, what if it doesn't work this time? What, what, what are you going to do? Maybe you ought to have a plan B. Those thoughts cross your mind. Okay. But Jesus didn't say if you have doubts in your mind. He said, don't let doubt get in your heart. So what do you do? Don't put words to those doubts. If you don't put words, attach words, you know, how many of you know, you don't have to say everything that crosses your mind. Well, I'm just going to give him a piece of my mind. Everybody doesn't want a piece of your mind. You don't have to attach words to everything that crosses your thinking. Let it die unborn. Okay, so in verse 23, Jesus said, but you really believe it and have no doubt in your heart. I want to talk about the word doubt for just a moment. The word doubt is from the Greek word diakrinomai. You don't have to know that. But it means this to hesitate, to waver, to doubt, or to differ. To hesitate, to waver, to doubt, or to differ. So what is Jesus telling us when he says, really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart? What he's saying is this. If when a person's heart does not differ from what his mouth is saying, the combination of his heart and mouth in agreement always makes things happen. I'm going to repeat that because I don't want to say it so fast. What Jesus is telling us, if, if what is in your heart and your mouth are in agreement, Jesus said, you can have what you say. I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus said, do you believe if Jesus told the truth? Okay. Jesus said, if you can get what you believe in your heart to line up with the words that are coming out of your mouth or vice versa, then you can have what you say. Okay? I want to call this the heart-mouth connection. Now, we don't have time to look at it, but that's exactly how you got saved. Romans uh, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, if you shall confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What happens? Because your mouth is in agreement with what your heart believes. If you will say that, then you will be saved. That's the promise. You'll get born again. Well, if the principle works for the greatest decision, the most powerful thing, the greatest miracle that can happen in your life, and that is the new birth, being born again, then what's to say that it would not work for everything else that we believe God for? So if you get it in your heart and say it with your mouth, it will come to pass. I didn't write that. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Okay. So, for instance, if you believe in your heart that Jesus purchased your salvation somebody preaches the gospel to you and and you put your heartfelt faith together with the confession of your mouth, you literally can receive that salvation and make it an eternal fact. Okay? Now, I'm going to put that in context. If you believe in your heart that Jesus purchased your healing, and put your heartfelt faith together with the confession of your mouth, you can literally bring that healing into manifestation in your physical body. Jesus said that. Okay, are y'all still with me? Okay. So write this down, please. God's creative power is released when the heart and the mouth get into agreement on God's word. See, a lot of times it's not working for us because those two are not in agreement, and you are not. This is what called. This is what in, in Romans four it called being fully convinced. I, I I never will. I wish I had written it down, but um, I can I can remember when healing I became fully convinced on healing. Just like I became fully convinced on salvation. You know, and that's where I started with salvation, of course. And you know what? I, I meditated and studied and got that down in my heart to where you could not tell me I was not saved. Now, did all my behavior line up? No. That's still a work in progress, okay? But here's what I know I know I am born again, I know my sins are forgiven. I know I'm on my way to heaven and Jesus is Lord of my life and you could beat me with a baseball bat till I die and I'll never deny that. Why? Because I'm fully convinced. I've studied it. I've meditated on it. I've read it. I've dwelt on it and I have convinced myself on what God's Word says. Well, you can do the same thing where your healing is concerned and and again, I can remember when, and when, when I had meditated and studied God's word enough where healing is concerned to where I am fully convinced that I am the healed of the Lord. Yes. Now somebody said, well, does that mean you never get sick? Let me say it to you this way. It means I, I, I'm never going to say I don't have opportunities to get sick, but I pass them up. Just like I have opportunities to sin, but I pass them up. Are you listening to me? So what we need to do is we've got to get our heart, what's in our heart, and what's coming out of our mouth into agreement. All right? So God's creative power is released when the heart and the mouth get into agreement on God's word. Now, I want to point out a couple of things, and then we're done. It, and and I didn't put the scriptures. Yeah, I did. Uh, Let me go back to it. All right. In Mark 11, 22 and 23, you know, and this is the story where Jesus cursed the fig tree. And so they pass by it in the morning. Jesus goes to get fruit off the fig tree and uh, the fig tree didn't have any figs. So he cursed the fig tree and there's a reason that he did that. But he cursed the fig tree. They go into Jerusalem, he and the disciples. They do all of the things that they wanted to do and he planned to do. They go back out to Bethany to spend the night, pass by the fig tree, and apparently nothing had changed. Because when they pass by the next morning, 24 hours later, Peter, my boy, I love Peter. I can identify with Peter. You know, Peter's the kind of guy that shoots off at the mouth and thinks later, you know. I've gotten a little better about that. But anyway, Peter passes by and he notices the fig tree. And he says, Master, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Now, here's something that if you'll gloss over, if you just read it casually, the, the Bible says this, Peter pointed out and he said, Master, the fig tree which you cursed is dried up from the roots. Now, here's something very, very important that I want you to see, okay? And that is this. When you are speaking God's word over your life, very often it looks like nothing is happening because it is attacking your situation at the root, not the fruit. Now, You know, how many of you, can pass by a plant and never, you just take it for granted. I mean, you might know the roots are there, but you don't see them. You don't see what's going on at the roots. But when you take time to speak God's word over your life and you're, you're convincing, you're in the process of convincing yourself. And I'll tell you how to do that in just a second. But when you're doing that, you, you have to believe that the word of God is working On your life at the root, and it might be in a place where you can't see it. Okay, now how do we do that? Well, the best way to do it, and and, um, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, Write this word down in your notes, please. Consistency. Consistency. I didn't add that, but. It's worth mentioning. Consistency. I believe consistency is one of the greatest keys to the power of God. And what do I mean by that? I mean where you pick up something and you do it consistently. Now, and I can just, I'm not bragging, but I'm going to say this based on my own life and what I have decided to do, and that is this. Every day, everybody say every day. Every day, I do not leave my house unless I have, and and they're available to you on our website, but I go through and I read however many, I want to say there's close to 60 or 70 healing scriptures over my life. Whether I feel sick or not, I read them, and I confess them, and I say them, and I speak them. Over and over. Not at the same time. I'm talking about every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. day. And I finally started saying this when I would do it. Lord, Proverbs 4.22 says uh, that your word is life and health and medicine to all my flesh. How many of you? have ever had a situation going on, you go to the doctor and he prescribes, he or she prescribes some medication to you and you go home and you take the medication and it doesn't seemingly have any effect. Do you, do you take one pill and pff, this stuff doesn't work and you go throw the rest of them away? No, you take the whole prescription. Why? Because sometimes it takes time for that medication to begin working in your body. God's Word is the same way. So when you begin to speak God's Word over your body and you're, you're reading through the Scriptures about how David wrote and he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all my iniquities, who heals all my diseases. See, what you need to understand is you're taking medication. And that medication is working in your body whether you realize it or not. Somebody said, well, Pastor, um, how long is it? Ba-? Well, can I say this to you? I, and I'm not bragging. But I haven't been sick since January of 2021. And it was a while before that. And the reason I got sick in January of 2021 was because of my own disobedience. My stupidity. Okay. But here's my point. Are there times when, you know, I wake up and I don't feel my best? Sure. But I don't let that affect me. I'm convinced that I'm healed. Am I helping anybody? Okay. Let's wrap this up. Let's go to the last verse. For today. So don't allow your hearts, Hebrews 6, 12 in the Passion Translation, don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm. Another word would be zeal, okay, or purpose. But follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. Now, we often define patience as putting up with. That's not patience. That's long-suffering. Okay, two different words. Patience means being constant. Another word is consistent. So according to this verse, the examples of those that are in the Scripture are put there Because they received the promise because of their faith and their consistency. Staying constant and enduring with that consistency. So if we're going to receive what God has for us, it's going to be because we believe it and we do with consistency what is necessary to receive it. All right? Let's write this down, please. Patience in this verse means to endure until you receive the results. I wish I could tell you, you know, if you find a verse in the Bible and you decide you're going to believe it, 36 hours, you'll be walking in the full manifestation of it. I wish I could tell you that. But you know what? The book doesn't say it. God does not tell us that every promise of God, it's going to happen by Monday. He doesn't, but he does tell us it will happen. It will come to pass. And here's what I want you to see is that more times than not, it depends on us more than it does God. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, so if you want to receive, and this is true with anything, walking with God, receiving and walking with God, it is going to be because you are fully convinced that heart mouth connection, you've got it in place and then you're staying consistent with it until when do I, when, when can I quit pastor? When can I stop when the manifestation shows up and you don't have that need anymore? Okay, but you still need to pick up on something else. All right, let's pray. Father. Father. Thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. I thank you that your word is true, that you're not a man that you are a liar. And so Father, I thank you that in Jesus name, everything that we can gather from your word, it is true and it shall come to pass. Father, we believe you. And Father, I thank you in Jesus name that the word is at work in us. And Father, I believe in the name of Jesus that it's at work in our spirits. Jesus said it's the bread of life. It's where we get our spiritual food and sustenance from. And I believe, Father, it's working in our souls, our spirit, our our mind, our will, and our emotions. And Father, I thank you that the Word is life and health and medicine to all our flesh. And so, Lord, I thank you and praise you that as we put our attention to your word, as we speak your word over our lives, Father, I thank you that that heart-mouth connection will cause the power of God to be released in our lives. And Father, I thank you for it. Now, Lord, I thank you and praise you for every person that's here today. I thank you for meeting every single need. I thank you, Father, for showing yourself strong on their behalf. Lord, I believe in the name of Jesus that you are just... Pouring out your love and your mercy and your grace into each and every life that's here today. And Father, I thank you for it. Now, Heavenly Father, should there be somebody here today that doesn't know you or perhaps has never fully surrendered their life to you or maybe they've given their heart to you but they need to come back home. They need to recommit their life to you today. Lord, I I pray that you would help me find them today. Draw them by your Spirit And Father, we thank you for it and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Now, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, or if you need to do what I said, come back home, return back to the Lord. Maybe you've drifted away and your heart has grown cold towards the things of God. I want you to know something. First of all, God's not mad at you. He loves you so much. Jesus paid such a great price for you and the scripture teaches that all we have to do he said Jesus taught this in the story of the prodigal son all we have to do is turn our hearts back towards him and Jesus told us that the father would run to us to embrace us to love us to clean us up to help us become who he wants us to be and so all we have to do is turn our hearts towards him to confess our sins, to believe God for forgiveness, and that in Jesus' name, we are forgiven and cleansed. Now, I'd love the privilege of being able to pray with you today. So if you need to give your heart to Christ for the first time, or you need to recommit your life to the Lord, I'm going to invite you to just pray this simple prayer after me. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I thank you for Jesus' and the price that he paid for me. And I believe with all my heart that he died on that cross for me. And I believe with all my heart that he was buried. But I believe that he was raised from the dead and he's seated at your right hand. Lord Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life come into my heart forgive me of my sin forgive me of my past and give me a brand new beginning thank you Lord for forgiving me thank you for cleansing me now fill me to the full and overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit help me to become who you want me to be And I will give my life to you to fulfill your will, plan, and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.